Um, you ever have a moment when uh, you need an attitude adjustment and God is gracious enough to help you out? Uh, yeah. Uh, when I started the process of preparing a couple of Thanksgiving messages uh, against the backdrop of all that 2020 has represented in my life uh, and the lives of most of you, I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. Uh, my mind eventually drifted to one of the classic New Testament passages on the subject, First Thessalonians chapter 5, and it starts with verse 16, and Paul says, Rejoice always. Just puts it out there. Rejoice always. No explanation, no qualifications. Verse 17, pray continually. Okay. And then we get to verse 18 for today. <clears throat> Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I thought, really? Really, God? Rejoice always? Pray continually? I'm just speaking for myself, but maybe a lot more griping and whining than praying continually. Um, Give thanks in all circumstances? All circumstances. Then he qualifies that at the end, and he clarifies it. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And I thought, based upon that criteria, rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances, how much time have I spent in God's will this year? And I had to wrestle with that. And I invite you to join me in that on your own time. Uh, Fortunately for me, God used one of my daily devotionals to give me that uh, attitude adjustment uh, and uh, help me regain some perspective when it came to giving thanks. And it's the one I've referenced before from Bob Goff. Uh, And uh, just just listen. He says, uh, the title is, Fill your life with gratitude and you will spill over with love. And he used Psalm 69, verse 30. I praise, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. And then he says, they say you can divide the world into two types of people. Those who see the glass as half full and those who see it as half empty. And those of you who know me well know where I fall on that. Um, but he continues. And this is the slap upside of the head. But I don't see this as optimism or pessimism. To me, it's more about gratitude. Instead of one or the other, half empty, half full, I tend to think, wow, I've got something in my glass. Oh. I have a friend who always wakes up every day and lists ten things he's grateful for. It could be the sunshine or his family. It could be that they're not sitting on a deer stand this morning, but I'm just saying. Um, It could be the sunrise or his family or the cup of coffee he's about to drink. It could be health, his spouse, his favorite flavor of ice cream. Whatever it is on the list is less important than making the list itself. When we take a moment to be grateful, we realize how much we have, and it leads to thankfulness. Now, I'm not a Pollyanna. If you don't know that, we'll talk later, all right? Now, I'm not a Pollyanna. There are hard days, difficult circumstances, and tragic moments. 
We've all had them and been with friends through them. But I believe those are outnumbered by the things we can be grateful for. Remember the time in the Bible when the disciples were trying to rank themselves and figure out who was going to sit closest to Jesus in heaven? How full is my glass? And is my glass better than the guy's, than the next guy's glass? Is what they were asking. Instead of giving in to our tendency to focus on what we don't have, Jesus simply says, you have me. And if that's not enough to fill you, nothing will be. Let's be grateful people. And the love of Jesus will spill out of our lives. And then he always ends each day with a, with a couple of questions or challenges. What's your outlook on your life right now? And how can you be more grateful? So, back to the question of what's in our glass. Today I want to suggest that there are three areas upon which we can focus in our pursuit of being more grateful. Give thanks for what was, give thanks for what is, and give thanks for what will be. Today I'm just going to focus on the first of those, give thanks for what was. Without a doubt, I again, I say this often, some of you I know your backstory well, some of you not so much. But I feel comfortable in saying that in all likelihood, regardless of our age and where we're at in life, we all have scars and wounds from our past. We have heartbreaks, we have physical suffering, we have economic setbacks, we have family dysfunction, we have, we had hope moments like we talked about last week. We all have those. And it's not uncommon for us to struggle to keep those scars from our past, from influencing how we respond to our present circumstances. Ironically, as I thought about it, the very thing that can give those scars the power to shape our lives is the same thing that has the power to help us overcome that. And I speak of our ability to remember. It always intrigues me how two people can share an experience and remember it totally different. And also, I'm always amused at things that I shared an experience with someone in the past, and I still hold on to it, and it didn't affect them at all. And we both shared the experience. Our ability to remember can keep us chained to the pain of the past, but it can also empower us to give thanks in the face of our present challenges. And it's not my intent to seem trite or simplistic. But in reality, the choice is ours. Does what happened in my past, what was, have to shape my future in a negative way? And the answer is it doesn't have to. It's a choice we have to make. I have two passages of Scripture that, uh, to me, speak to this issue of giving thanks for what was. And, and the one I, I looked at, it's interesting because I used this very early on, I think when we were still in lockdown and I was preaching from my uh, guest bedroom. Uh, but it, it's Philippians chapter 1, and I'm just going to walk through it. 
Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And again, I read that fast. Let's go back. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's clearly giving thanks for what was. And when I read that, at least for me, and and some of you know Philippians is all about joy, and, and when I read that, I think, what a wonderful, warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, Paul's writing to these people at Philippi, and he's just, every time I think about you, I'm just overwhelmed with joy. And I just remember the time we hung out together, and it was just so special. But to understand the full power of our ability to remember what was, we have to make sure we step back and remember the backstory of this passage. And some of you immediately went there. Others of you may not. So I just want to revisit a little bit. In Acts chapter 16, if you want to go back and fact check or get the full story, Acts chapter 16 describes some of Paul's time with the people at Philippi. All right, this is, this is the, the back in the day that Paul's remembering in Philippians chapter 1. When Paul was there, they had some incredible ministry opportunities. There were some very prominent people who came into a real personal life-changing love relationship with Jesus Christ. And it changed their lives and it changed the lives of the people around them. There were some dramatic healings and even casting out demons that had tormented individuals for years. But while Paul was in Philippi, after the prominent conversions, after the dramatic casting out of demons, there were public accusations, literally deriving him, dragging him into the town circle and gathering all the local people and hurling accusations at him which was followed by a public beating. And then he was thrown in prison. And eventually, the town leaders came to release him from prison, not to say we're sorry, but to literally escort him out of town. Now, do you see the disconnect? That was Paul's experience in Philippi. Public humiliation, beating, in prison, and said, leave here and don't ever come back, or we've got more of the same for you. Fast forward 10 years, and Paul's sending a message back to Philippi. Now, again, as he's writing this letter, best case scenario, he was under house arrest in Rome. In Rome. Worst case, he was literally in prison in Rome. So either way, it's not a good time for Paul in Rome. Either way, he's confined and he's restricted. And what he does is he writes and he remembers. And friends, 
I find it incredibly convicting and challenging when I think about my attitude over the past year that when Paul looks back at Philippi, he's, he's imprisoned in Rome, and he's remembering the good old days back in Philippi. He doesn't remember the beating. I'm sure he remembers them, but he doesn't focus on the beating. He doesn't focus on the pain. He doesn't focus on the humiliation. He doesn't focus on the rejection. Instead, he focuses on the joyous times. He focuses on the unique partnerships in the gospel he was able to make. He focuses on the confidence he has that they are pressing forward. And he focuses on hope. This is far easier for me to say than it is for me to apply. And it might well be for you as well. It sounds like something that you're supposed to say. But probably because it's what we're supposed to do. Friends, the reality is we cannot choose what happened in our past because it's in the past. But we can choose the focus of our memories of what happened in the past. And that stretches me. But Paul was able to look back at Philippi and remember with fondness, with great warmth in his heart, and with incredible thanksgiving, the positive things they experienced. When I talk about scars, I think it's safe to assume he literally had physical scars from the beating he got in Philippi. But he remembered something different. The other one is Psalm 42. And, and I've used this in memorial services before. Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And again, that, that, just that verse alone... You know, it just sounds kind of like a, a neat longing for God. You know, just I, I just wish I could be closer to God. You know, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. But then I think about the times in my life, not on December 15th necessarily, maybe December, or excuse me, November 15th. But I remember times that I've seen deer's pant, deer panting for water. And it's usually because they were chased hard, running for their lives. I'm wondering if maybe there's more to that. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, perhaps he's just longing for an opportunity to worship God intently. But maybe he's saying, you know what? I think being with God would be a whole lot better than being where I'm at right now. Verse (laughs) 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Wow. Begin to get a picture for what he was panting for and how desperate he was for God. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Verse 5, Why, my soul, are you downcast, so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So I look back through those a couple times. Verse 4. The first three verses make it clear he's just hurting desperately. His tears are his food day and night. Been there? What does he do in that time? These things I remember. As he's pouring out his soul in despair, what does he remember? He remembers how he used to go to the house of God. He remembers the times he felt he was under the protection of the mighty one. He remembers the times of shouts of joy and praise among a festive throng. Again, when I read about him, his tears being his food day and night, I I just see him alone. But what he remembers is the times when he was not and when he was with the people of God in the presence of God. That's where he looked and that's what he chose to remember when it seems like things could not get any worse when God seemed far away he chose to remember the times when he felt closest to God and you know what I've had times where I felt really really close to God just absolutely mountaintop awesome times but I have to choose to remember those times when I'm not feeling that way. Verse 6, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. When his soul was crushed, he chose to remember just how big God is. And that's an invitation to me and perhaps to you. And then verse 11. My soul, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In spite of his current pain, which was very, very real, he was choosing to remember what was And that gave him the ability to hope for what will be. I will yet praise him. He's not saying, I'm praising him, hallelujah. He's saying, I will yet praise him. He's saying, it will come. And I'm trusting my Savior and my God for that time when it comes. Because I'm putting my hope in him. As you embrace this season of thanksgiving... I invite you to think about what's in your glass. Half full, half empty. Maybe you're just glad you've got a glass. <laughs> All right. You know, I, I thought about that. It's like, you know, I, I do fixate on half full, half empty. But it's still half. And I still got a glass. Paul and the psalmist both demonstrate that choosing How we remember what was can make a huge difference in how we deal with what is.
Would you pray with me? Father, you know, oftentimes, a part of the challenge of standing up here and talking is realizing how hard it is for me to do exactly what I'm challenging all of us to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir in each heart here what you want them to wrestle with, not what I choose to wrestle with. Father, I pray that you'll help each of us to spend some time over the next several weeks reflecting upon all that you have done for us, the storms you have brought us through, the hurts that you have brought healing, and give us all a determination to hope for what will be because we've seen the ways in which you were faithful with regard to what was. Well, Father, again, sometimes, as the devotional said, the value isn't necessarily what's on the list in terms of what was. The value is that we take the time and make the, and express the discipline to actually make a list. Because, Father, I know for me, and I suspect for every one of us, when we actually look back at what was, looking for reasons to give thanks, we will be humbled by all that you have done in the past and our confidence for what you will do in the present and in the future will only increase. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.